like to also welcome those who are worshipping with us on LiveGate Outreach TV and uh, listening to the podcasts on um, our, our various platforms, including Buzzsprout, podcasts on Android platforms and iOS platforms, and Buzzsprout. I want to say thank you for doing this and following and encouraging as you are following. May God continue to bless you all in Jesus' name. And um, just to quickly recapitulate, we are on the fourth of our series on creative prosperity principles. And uh, we started off looking at the concept of timing and seasons, understanding the importance of times and seasons. And we said it is so important to recognize that God works by timing. God works by seasons. And uh, he wants us, ever since he put time in place, right from the creation of the earth, uh, heavens and the earth, he wants us to be a people who understand the place of timings and engage with him and his agenda as far as time is concerned. So we looked at time and then we looked at another very important principle, the principle of order. And we emphasized the fact that order must be in place if we want to take delivery of certain things from God. Orderliness is a virtue of God. Disorder and chaos is a demonic strategy to block people out of their destinies. And God will continue to deliver us from every disorderliness in the name of Jesus. And then last week, we looked at focus. Pastor Lola led us very powerfully on the subject of focus starting primarily with the focus that is most important in life, the, the focus on God, the focus on God and the kingdom of God. The Bible says that, but you shall seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be added. So we looked at that and then we looked at how God helps us to also focus on our life assignments, how to maintain that consistency in focusing on the things that God is doing with us and in us. And so it is important that we follow these principles and uh, I want to encourage you, please go to the uh, YouTube page, LiveGate Outreach TV, and follow them. And very shortly, they will all be on our podcasts as well if they have not yet been uploaded by the time I finish this message. But I want to encourage you to please go through them and make your own private study to keep learning. Amen. And so today we're looking at the creative prosperity principle of routine. The creative prosperity principle of routine. Again, this is something that is hardly talked about in the body of Christ, but it's such an essential virtue. In the business world, some of these things are taught. And they are taught from the aspect and the perspective of psychology alone. And believe me, even at that level and at that realm, because they are basic principles that apply to life, they can actually work and deliver. They can give you a level of success. What we do as children of God is to understand these principles from the context of scripture so that we can have what the Bible calls good success. So that we can have the real success that God desires for man, not the counterfeit, not the earthly one. Not the one that will die and perish with this world. The one that will give us an eternal reward, which will manifest here on earth. Jesus said it will manifest here on earth and even in the life hereafter. Praise the Lord. And so when we have looked at these things and we come, it is important for us to understand how routine operates. 
When we talk about routine, we are talking about a sequence of actions. A sequence of actions that is regularly followed. A sequence of actions that is regularly followed. And these actions are usually repetitive. That means you are doing the same thing as it were over and over again. It could be repetitive in a time frame of daily, daily time frame, weekly time frame, monthly time frame, yearly time frame, or just some kind of season of life that it seems to follow. But the key thing about routine is that it's consistent. I see routine like the vehicle. When we talk about focus and vision, I see, your, I see everyone's destiny as what God has ordained for them. The Bible says he has predestined us. So there is a place for every one of us to reach. And I see God putting that place ahead of everyone so that we can run our race to reach it. And I see ourselves focusing by vision and going by order, following the instructions of God step by step. But what actually is like the vehicle that turns is our routine. What actually gets us there is the vehicle of routine. If I want to go from this door, from where I am now to the rear door there, my feet will have to put in a pattern of routine of movement. So one step will go in time, the other one goes in a second, the other one goes, and as long as I'm keeping that routine, I give myself the chance to get to that door. No matter the promises waiting for me by that door, no matter how much I believe that they are for me, no matter how much I am organized and I'm fired up, if I don't keep that routine, if I don't keep that process of one step after the other to the other consistently, I will not be able to get to that door. This is the importance of routine, and I want us to understand it very well. And we can have routines that are positive or routines that are negative. It is very simple to understand. Everyone in life is daily making a choice of a routine that is positive or a routine that is negative. If we keep to a positive routine, it delivers life to us. Amen. Amen. If you keep to a positive routine of reading good books regularly, for example, good materials regularly, it delivers for you the capacity to have enhanced knowledge because it's good the bible obviously and then any good book that supports what the bible says or what your profession is and things that would help you to develop your mind is stretched so as a daily routine personally i read something new every day whether it's sunday or saturday something new either from scripture or something new based on what i do I am always looking at, listen to me, every profession, we are told that knowledge is doubling. The rate available knowledge is doubling every year. That is the progression now. So every year, whatever has been existing in the world, by the time we move into 2020, everything we know that has been knowledge so far becomes double by 2020 this time. That's how quickly things are going. So if you cannot engage with the routine of learning, you, de you decapacitate yourself. You reduce your capacity for knowledge. So there has to be, that is a good routine. But somebody can have a routine of chain smoking and say, I smoke five cigarettes every day. At 10 a.m., I've done the five. That is their own five a day. God have mercy. 
Now, that's a routine, but that's a bad routine. Because that routine has a potential to affect your life negatively. I know people that had different kinds of cancer, especially that has to do with the lung, that was traced to nothing else other than cigarette smoking. So that's a routine, but it's a bad routine. And we have to watch carefully that we always take decisions to engage with positive routines in life. May God continue to help us in Jesus' name. So as Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, it is very important for us to realize that what Jesus stands for is not just for us to learn about him as the son of God, but he became a pattern for us. The Bible says we should be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. We read that extensively last week in Hebrews 12.2. But we need to just look at certain things that Jesus did in his life. And some of these things are not new to us. But I want to deliver, I want to trust God today that through this discussion, we'll be able to learn how to stick to the routine like Jesus did. Jesus showed us, the first thing I would like us to look at is the routine of the word. The routine of the word. Those of you that are listening to this by podcast or audio or, or video, uh, we read Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to verse 22. Verse 16 to verse 22. Uh, in the course of our Bible reading. But I want to just quickly share with us a few verses from there. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought, verse 16, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, the word custom there can be replaced with routine. As his custom was, that means something he did regularly. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And we know that as he was reading, the Bible says that he read, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That is verse 18. He has anointed me. He has sent me. He has to proclaim liberty. He has the recovery of sight to set at liberty. He said those things by reading the word, not of himself, but written about himself. Those were not words he wrote himself, but written about himself by Prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah was very, very, very deep in terms of understanding the messianic mission. And his prophecies were very accurate about Jesus. So Jesus took time to read the word of God that existed in his days. And what this means is that he had a custom of reading it. But I want us to know something. When we talk about the routine of the word, we must see it from three perspectives. Say with me, study, study. Meditation, meditation, and declaration. Say it again, study, study. Meditation, meditation, and declaration. Now, if you don't do these three together, you will never be able to take the full advantage of what the word can deliver. That's what Jesus showed us there. He had studied it, so he knew where it was. Go back to verse, verse 17. The Bible says he found the place. And when he opened it, he found the place. So he knew where it was. He had studied it. He knew where it was. And the Bible says in verse 18, verse 18, he meditated on it. He read it out meditatively. And verse 19, Verse 19, and he continued to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20, 
verse 20, very quickly. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Let's read verse 21 together. Verse 21, come on now. And he began to say, somebody say declaration. He began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. When you develop a routine of study, meditation, and declaration, you allow the word of God to deliver for you. Study gives you information from the word, helps your knowledge. Meditation, which is the process of engaging with the word you have read, thinking about it, thinking about it, pondering over it, reading it again, pondering over it, reading it again, discussing it, sharing it, discussing it, looking into it, thinking over it again, gives you understanding. And it is these two things that allow you to come to the place where you are able to declare like Jesus Christ. Declaration enforces the will of God from the word that you have committed to studying. Many of us study the word and that's all we do. We don't meditate enough. So it doesn't become part of us until you find your body and your mind responding to the word you have studied. You have not meditated on it enough until you find your tongue aligning with the word of God. Instead of the circumstances of life, you have not meditated on it enough. I didn't say you have not memorized it. You can read and memorize, but it is meditation that makes it part and parcel of you. Many of us know about the cow who chewed the curd. Those of you who are kids and have never been to villages and places where you can see cattle, you may not understand. I can quickly explain it. But those of you who were born like in places that I was born, we see it freely. We saw it freely. <laughs> Hallelujah. We didn't need to pay for that or have a school trip. It was all around us. Hallelujah. Now what a cow does is it does what is called chewing the curd. And many of you must have learned this from biology, but it might still be strange. What it does is that it eats, when it, it's grazing, it eats food, goes into one portion of his belly. It has four compartments, I believe, if my biology reminds is still correct. It has four compartments. It goes into the first compartment first. So what it has eaten the first time, he eats it and puts it there. He just rushes it in. And then, don't think about what the process is, but think about the, the logic behind it. He brings it out again, okay? And he doesn't bring it out to the ground, but he brings it out to his mouth and chews it again. Passes it to the second compartment. Then the new food that he's eating is put in the first compartment. If he's eating it fresh, he's fed. In the, then he put, brings it out again. Puts it in the third, like that, like that, and rotates. By the time he gets to the fourth compartment, it goes into his intestine like we have too as humans. Small intestines that absorb the food. And it has become so fine. It has become so purified that by the time it's going into its system, it is so nourishing. And this is exactly what the Bible talks about when it says meditate on it day and night. Day and night. So the principle, the routine of studying the word and meditation is something we must understand. Those of you who are couples, instead of just talking about East Enders and the Coronation Street and X Factor and all these things that doesn't add value as such to you. It's good to talk about them. You can socialize on those things. But you know something... Take time, 
to meditate on scripture together. It's so powerful. My wife and I do this almost every day. I bring out a scripture. I said, do you know what? something I learned about this scripture? We might have been talking about this scripture for 20 years. It doesn't matter. If I learn something new, I say, you know something? This is what it is. She said, ah, interestingly, I read that just yesterday and it came to me also that it's like this. And then we discuss it and meditate on it. And then by that way, you are taking, you see, the Bible says the word of God is quick and it's active. When you read it, what it means is that it is fresh every morning. So you must understand the place of meditation. Even if you don't have a spouse, learn to think about the word. Learn to sing the word. Learn to use scriptures, use songs, meditate on songs that talk scripture so that the scripture can become part of you. When it be Many of us are wondering why we cannot get to the place of declaration. It is impossible to declare what you have not internalized. It's impossible. You can say something, but it will not carry weight. If you say, I cannot be sick, it's because the word of healing has been stuck in you. To anybody who has not meditated on it enough, they will say, oh, that you are being arrogant or that you are not facing reality. The reality is that we cannot be sick. But does that mean that sickness will not attack us? Of course, it doesn't mean so. Why can we not be sick? Because the Bible says he himself took our infirmities. The more you meditate on the fact that he took your infirmities. If you know English language very well, the word took means that it has been taken. Is that not so? <laughs> that is my own definition. Maybe I'm confusing you the more. <laughs> if, that he took it means it has been taken. It's no more there. It's no more there. So why are you allowing something that is no more there to be there? No, it can't be. And we must always understand this. This is so important. The concept of meditation means that you internalize the word so that you can declare it. So when things are going, the Bible says when there is a casting down, you shall say there is a lifting up. And you must come to the place where you are consistently understanding that this is what God is saying concerning you. And as you are declaring, you are enforcing. Every declaration is enforcing. Jesus said today, this scripture is fulfilled in your, in your, in your eyes. And that's it. From that day, he took over. From that day, he began to heal the sick. He began to deliver the oppressed. He began to do exactly the things that he said. Because he had taken time to study and study and study. And then he found it by opening the book. He found it and he read it to them. And then he gave it out to them by declaration. May God help us to be a people who study. I say a people who study. And a people who meditate. And a people who declare the word of God. In the name of Jesus. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, The entrance of your word gives light. and gives Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 130 says, The entrance of your word gives light and gives understanding to the simple. When the word of God comes inside you, Jeremiah 15, 16 says, The word of God were found and I ate them and they became a rejoicing of my soul. There are certain ways, there are certain ways I have stopped talking for years. My wife can bear me out. For years. Because I have studied the scripture enough by the grace of God, meditated on it enough, and have taken delivery of its outcome enough to avoid saying certain things certain times. You must come to this place. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 says, Be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
When you meditate and declare the word of God, it facilitates our prosperity. That's what Joshua 1.8, we all quote. Let's quote Joshua 1.8. You don't have to put it on the screen. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein, so you shall make your way prosperous and you shall have good success. Hallelujah. Clap for yourselves. Clap for yourselves. Even though some of you are just, when I got to you, you just say, we did that in school many times, so I understand. I understand. As a friend of mine in secondary school, he used to do that. We have a biology teacher. He would say, and that is called, maybe the word is vertebrae. He would just look at your direction. God help you if you don't know it. He would just say, and that is called vertebrae. Everybody will say it. But if he sees your mouth not moving, he will say, stand up. <laughs> he will now give you another question. <laughs> so I had a friend, his name is Sunday. Sunday, anytime the man say, and that is called Sunday, we just look at one of our guys who will always get it. Whatever the mouth is doing, Sunday will do the same thing. <laughs> so one day, <laughs> the guy was not talking. <laughs> so Sunday look at the direction. The guy didn't open his mouth. Sunday said, ah, open your mouth. <laughs> the biology teacher said, stand up. <laughs> stand up Sunday. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> oh dear. But the Bible says that you shall have good success when you learn how to meditate on the word of God. The routine of prayer, number two. Routine of the word, routine of prayer. Friends, I'm not just talking about reading the word and praying. I'm talking about routine. Making it a daily lifestyle, a weekly lifestyle, a cyclical pattern of engagement in life prayer mark 135 the bible says now in the morning having risen a long while before daylight he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed that's jesus he prayed he prayed he prayed he prayed in while it was night and yet before daylight this is one of the reasons why in this church we pray 5 a.m to 6 a.m most mornings before daylight Except in the summer times. That's when you get daylight at that time. Most times by 5 a.m. it's still dark. And we pray. And we've now made it a routine. Have you noticed, those of you that have been participating, have you noticed that even on Saturday you wake up at 5? Have you noticed? Praise the Lord. Because you teach the body routine. It is not your body that will teach you routine. You teach your body good routine. You subject your body to good routine. You subject your body to these things, praying regularly. So wherever you are, however you are, and you teach children the same routine. Some of us were taught the routine of attending church on Sunday that it became impossible for us to be anywhere on a Sunday without going to church, except there is no church there. It's impossible. The first day I got to this country was a, sun, was a Monday morning. The very first thing I was looking for where I was staying then was the church around me. Any church that was okay. I didn't know any place in Wolverhampton 20 years ago. 19 years ago, exactly. I didn't know anywhere in Wolverhampton. And so I asked somebody, I said, is there any church around here? He said, there's a church that meets in a hotel there, in Britannia Hotel that time. That church is still in Wolverhampton. They now have their own place. It's called Life Spring. Many of you would know Tony Warsaw. Great servant of God. And I walked into the place. 
That was my first Sunday in this country, and I, start, and I, and I, and I sat in there, started fellowshipping with believers. And the following Sunday, somebody told me about another church, and then, to, to cut the long story short, the church I was now introduced to brought me into aspects of ministry, and I was there for nine years before moving on to other assignments and then coming into this. What am I trying to say? My father, as at that point in time, was not here. The person who used to take me to church many years before was no, no longer here. But it has become part and parcel of me till today. And you must understand that the routine you want your children to learn must be something you subject them to so that they can know. Teach them how to pray. Teach children how to pray. Teach children the importance of prayer. You lead by praying. Family altar should not be negotiable. Acts chapter 3 verse 1, the Bible says, And now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. Regular time of prayer, the ninth hour, they were all expected to go there to pray. We have a believer generation that just wants to pray when we like. And we expect to take delivery. That is why there is fake miracle all over the place. There will be fake miracles when people are not engaging with the real God. They are doing what nonsense they want to do and yet perform the same miracles he performed. It can't happen. <laughs> we need to understand the, these guys were going at a regular hour of prayer. And I want you to understand this day and age, miracles are of different forms and different shapes. Miracles that take place for those that pray come in diverse ways. There are, you are a walking miracle yourself. There are many things that you don't understand happen in your life. I told you guys, many of you here, that about 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, I used to walk in Coventry. And I used to wake up early in the morning to attend to the, the elders meeting in the church I just told you about. And uh, from there, we close at 7 a.m. And then I would drive to Coventry. Many times I had only slept for three, four hours because I work at night. I do my consulting work, most of them in the night. So I walk to about 2 a.m., just sleep for about four hours and I'm up again. So I'm usually very tired. So I used to drive, I'd trick myself to a place around 8.45 and park on a lay-by and sleep so that I can, I can still make it to the office and, and be fresh. But if I don't cover that time in traffic, I will get late if I go home back to sleep and all that. So what I'm trying to say is that many of those times, I miraculously got to that lay-by just by the grace of God. I will remember myself turning off the, off the uh, uh, M6 and veering into Junction 42 many times, except I want to be a liar. Many times, and I mean many times because I did it for three years, three and a half years. Many times how I got from junction six of the M6, junction 4A of the M6 to junction six of the M42 going into A45, I don't know. I know that my car was moving and I found myself there. I'm not asking you to go and be doing it. Don't say, Brother Dave has given us a new... I didn't say that. I'm only saying to you that that is a miracle of our time. For me, that is a miracle of my time. For sure, angels came into the car, put me to the side, and drove the car themselves because I know I was not driving it. That was my experience. And I can tell you, many of us are living miracles. We must understand that when we pray consistently... We enjoy certain kind of miracles that are not, that are clear to us. These guys had a regular hour of prayer. We must commit to regular hour. Apart from what we do as a church, we must pray individually. We must pray as families. Routinely. 
May God continue to help us in Jesus' name. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17. He said, rejoice always. Verse 17 says, pray without season. Pray without season. Amen. Pray without season. Pray without giving up. Pray, the word season there means whether you see what you are praying for or not. Whether it's convenient or not. Pray. Pray. Tell your neighbor for me, pray. Tell them for me again, we must pray. There is no new improved version of Christianity. We have a generation that likes to improve everything and simplify it and oversimplify it. And that's the same way we want to simplify the gospel, in, in quote. I'm not saying the gospel is complicated, but the practice of prayer, the practice of routine prayer, routine study of the word, has never needed to be improved. The only enhancement we have now is that we can have gadgets that help us. You can have your phone read the Bible to you. Those things were not there before. And thank God for that. But it doesn't replace the fact that you still have to put it in. Put it in. You still have to put it in every time. That you have a Bible. Those of you younger ones who are using electronic Bibles and you started with using electronic Bibles, you need to learn the chapters of the Bible without the electronic Bible. So that if you go to a place and somebody is trying to share the Bible, uh, the Word of God, and they say, oh, you know, I have a Bible here, and they bring out a paper Bible that their grandma used to use, and they give it to you, and they say, you know, somebody read to me, Obadiah, the other day, and, I, and you say, ah, I don't have my phone. To show you where Obadiah is. <laughs> You're not going to do that. You must be able to take that paper Bible, look at where Obadiah is because you have studied the patterns of the books of the Bible. That is part of your own responsibility of study. So whilst you know I am a very, very strong proponent of electronic Bibles because that's the way the world is going, but we must understand that we need to have ourselves well-armed and well-trained regardless of those resources. Amen. Number three, routine of fellowship. I know these things are not, may not be sounding new, but keep putting the word routine, and then you'll get where I'm coming from this morning. The routine of fellowship. What is the first one? The routine of? The, then number two, the routine of? Prayer. And then number three, the routine of? Fellowship. Acts chapter one, verse one. This was after his resurrection, and it was about going back to heaven. Acts chapter one, verse one. Thank you. This is Luke's writing. He said, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Verse 2. Verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3. To whom he also presented himself alive. Somebody say fellowship. Say fellowship. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, the real emphasis of fellowship is in verse 4. Let's go now. Let's read verse 4 together loud and clear. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Jesus led the disciples exemplarily till the very last minute before he was taken up. 
He assembled together with them. He was in the synagogues as his custom was routinely. He was explaining the scriptures to those who were of the Jewish descent and did not understand his messianic mission. He was explaining to them regularly. And then when these followers of his were with him, he was also assembling together with them. Friends, you lead, you, you, you lead your generation by example. The example of fellowship that the younger generation must learn from us is how they see us do it. If they see us have hazard with fellowship. If children grow with the notion that fellowship is when you are just, you know, when you feel like it. We have done a disservice to the kingdom because fellowship must be part and parcel of our routine. The Bible says, I'm being assembled together with them. Then he was able to command. Then you can tell your younger ones that as you see me go to church every day, so you must do. As you see me go to church every Sunday, so you must do. So you must lead your own families. Praise the Lord. When I was very young in secondary school, back in my home country in Nigeria, I was in boarding house, as I've told you some of those stories before. And I was just 12 years, 13 years old. Those days we used to school very far away from home. 700 kilometers thereabouts was where my secondary school was. And um, my parents used to write me letters. We didn't have, of course, we didn't have emails. There were no mobile phones. <laughs> this was in the 80s. And letters used to take two weeks to arrive. Just one letter took two weeks. Maybe the postman used to walk along the line. I don't know, but it took two weeks to get to us. Now, the reality is this. When the letters come... They will hand them out in the dining hall when we are eating. There's a, we had a male prefect who would bring the letters and distribute them. I knew the days my letters would come because the two-week cycle was always regular. When the letters come, my mama would write about seven pages. My father used to write only four lines. At times, he used to add his four lines to my mom's seven pages. <laughs> so... When I open it in the dining hall, everybody does that. Everybody wants to hear from home. When I open it in the dining hall, I go and read Papa's letter first. Because that one, I can read it while eating my rice. <laughs> but Mama's letter, I took it to, my, <laughs> to sleep. Thank you very much. Mama would tell me about our dog that just had a baby of five. And everything that happened in the house, Mama would tell me. And pray for me and everything. And at times she will conclude. About three times she will conclude. You say, let me let you rest. She's writing it down. Let me allow you to rest. Hey, what happened the other time? <laughs> and she will continue. So I used to read her own at night. But dad's letter was this. Hi, son. Hope you are doing fine. Go to church. Read your Bible. Pray regularly. <laughs> I can recount it to you. I was telling him when I saw him earlier, earlier on in this year. I was telling him of those letters. I were laughing. Go to church, read your Bible, pray regularly, and be good. God bless you. That's his letter finish. <laughs> no long story, <laughs> but I never forgot it. Praise the Lord. Because really, that is what it's all about. And every Sunday, those words haunted me. As I got up, I heard him. Go to school, go to church, read your Bible. I heard those words replayed in my head. We must understand that we let, because I saw his example, so it was easy to follow. We must examine, the Bible says Jesus assembled together with them. We must lead a generation that is coming, ourselves and the generation that is coming, by example of making fellowship prime. Now, we are very challenged in our times. We have work patterns that make it very difficult. 
We have things that make it difficult. We have divided families all over the place. We need to travel. We need to communicate. We need to do things. And all those is understood. But you know something? Whatever it is, we must keep doing what God has said we should do. Because in the place of fellowship, the routine of fellowship, we take delivery of many things. Hebrews 10, 24. He said, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Fellowship helps us to stir one another up. Many challenges I've had in life, by, uh, it came from brethren. They say, have you heard about this? I understand you do this. Have you heard about this? The first time I came to this country in 1996, I was not living here. I was still living in Nigeria. I came for a professional meeting to represent my company uh, on a project we were doing back in Nigeria. But they fixed the meeting for some strange reason. They fixed the meeting here in London because the consultants were from all over the place, Israel, Italy, France, and all that. So they said, let's all meet in London. They didn't want to come to Nigeria. They said, let's all meet in London, which was good for me. I got a free ticket business class to London, of course. Why not? And I was just, what, 27 years old. So life was good. So I got there with my boss, and we were just enjoying ourselves. So one of the brethren around me said, Brother Dave, you know you are preaching for us in our church next Sunday. I said, ah, I didn't come here to preach. I came here to enjoy myself. <laughs> he said, no, seriously, I've told Pastor, he is a deacon in the church, I've told Pastor that you are around, and I want you to preach for us. It was a redeemed church. They're still there in London today, New Life Assembly in, in Hendon, in North London. And I went there to preach. I prepared myself. As usual, by God's grace, I preached my heart out and prayed for the people. And I was leaving, I met a young man. He was an architect. And he said, Brother Dave, I'd like to be your friend. And I would like to really know, get to know you. Please keep in touch with me. I said, we're traveling back tomorrow, but you know, I'll be here maybe next year again and all that. We just talked casually. And I left back to Nigeria. I'm going somewhere with this story. Fellowship. Somebody say fellowship. fellowship. Say Fellowship. And I went back to Nigeria. 1997, I came back. We saw very briefly with the same guy. But in the year 2000, when I came here to stay, finally started my PhD. In 2001, he called me and he said, Brother Dave, don't you do structural engineering? I said, yeah. He said, you know what? I have just started my practice, an architectural practice. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to retain you as my structural engineer. I had never done anything for anybody in this country before that time. I was just doing my PhD. I said, okay. He gave me the first job. The first job was just 400 pounds. I'll never forget because that was the money I used to pay my first insurance <laughs> for car insurance. So I remember the money and the job very well. But do you know that from that one architect that I met in fellowship, today I work with over 10 architects to the glory of God. From that one person, I have done projects across nations. From that one person that I met in fellowship. In fellowship. I came to sit down with engineers from all over the world and designers, hot-headed people in big meetings for three days. None of them called me to give me work. But the brother I met in fellowship. So when we say fellowship, when they say do not stare one another to good works, verse 25. When he say do not neglect the assembling together, verse 25, of one another as the manner of some, what he's saying is it is for your own good. It's for your own good. What does God need from you or me? He doesn't need anything. If I encourage you and you do well, is it God that I've done it for? I mean, is it God I'm encouraging as it were? I can say I do it to his glory. But it's not him that I'm encouraging. It's for you. 
If God gives me an idea and an inspiration as we gather together now, or gives the brother X to sister Y, I said, you know, when we're worshiping, God just opened my eyes to see that's your business that you are doing. He said, have you, you know, put it online? Do you have an app for it? That's all. And then the sister says, ah, you know, I never thought about that. Divine ideas leads to something. Many times, the Bible says there is a manner of some. There is a day that is approaching. The day that is approaching is the day of the coming back of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he will ask us of how we used our talents, what we did with our life. But we must understand that between now and that day, there is so much we can take delivery of. Every one of us must understand the place of routine fellowship. Is not, God is not demanding from you to cheat you. All the jobs, the job, the first work permit I got in this country, I've told you, some, some of you, so many times. The first work permit I got in this country, I got in the place of fellowship. I just finished preaching like this in the year 2002, a year after this occurrence, I told you. And as I was finished preaching, I just stepped down and I was greeting people after praying for them and praying for them. And somebody, my dean at that time, walked up to me and said, Brother Dave, do you want a job? From fellowship. I can go on and on and on and on from fellowship. From fellowship, may God continue to help us to understand these powerful routines in the name of Jesus. We're talking about creative prosperity. It was in that 2001, God opened my eyes to see that I can study, I can, I can do both. I can be an academic and be a consultant. I didn't know it would be possible, but when I saw how things work in this country where you can email, you can do FaceTime, you can do some, and now it's even so easy. Now I can conference call. Somebody's in Australia. Somebody was in London. We were conference calling recently. Just last Tuesday, I was conference calling people from Germany. Just last Tuesday. Easy from my desk like this. The other day, I was conference calling my university from inside Emirates. You were there with me. We were going to Hong Kong for a conference. They were desperate. They needed something. So when I popped up my phone and I saw that they, they, they texted me that they thought I was already in Hong Kong and I said to them, I had not yet landed. So I said, I said to my colleague, I said, Let, let's Skype. So I Skyped him. He said, David, where are you? I said, I'm still on the plane. <laughs> you think I'm at your level. I'm no more at that level. <laughs> I've gone very far now. I said, I'm still on the plane. And I Skyped them, put my earpiece. We talk normally as if we were next room to each other. So we have no limit again. Very soon, I'll be doing it from the moon. <laughs> when they open those offices in the moon, I will go for one of those there. We'll go and plant our church there. and you, I'll be telling you guys, you see, this is where we're operating now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Fellowship. Brethren, fellowship. God needs you to commit to fellowship because it is for your own good. Many things that we are chasing outside is locked in the believer sat next to you. They may not know it, but God knows it. It's locked in them in the place of fellowship, regular fellowship. God brings out some of these things. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. The Bible says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. They continued in fellowship. Our generation must not stop fellowship. They continued in fellowship. That's why we are still believers today. And we must also continue in fellowship. If they stopped fellowshipping, you and I have no chance to be Christians today. They continued in fellowship. We must continue in fellowship. It is the hope of the future for the church of Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says, and as they continued like that, they became a dread. Verse 43. Read verse 43. They became a dread. When people fellowship together, the Bible says, then the fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They did not need to fake miracles because they were fellowshipping in one accord, and God was working economic systems through them. None of them was lacking anything. Supernatural powers was coming. They would pray, and the place where they are praying would be shaken, and things were happening before their eyes. The man at Get Beautiful stood up to walk because they were together in fellowship. The devil's device of this time is to destroy the place of fellowship, and we are not ignorant of his devices. We have to fight it. We have to fight it. Friends, if it means sleeping at certain times and rearranging your night for the sake of fellowship, when you can't do it, when you can't do it, this is what it demands and this is what we must do. May God continue to help us in Jesus' name. I'll just close this by saying that we need to also have the routine of well-doing. The routine of well-doing. What's the first one? The routine of? The word. The routine of? You're not talking to me now. The routine of? Number three, the routine of fellowship. fellowship. And then number four, the routine of well-doing. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. He said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good, doing well. What is doing good? The Bible now recounts all the things. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to do those things, and then doing it is well-doing. Doing what God has called you to do is well-doing. The Bible says he now went about doing good. He didn't just go about professing, I am Jesus, I am the Son of God. I am Jesus, I am the Son of God. He was teaching and doing. Acts 1.1, he was teaching and doing. He was teaching and doing. We must be doing well. Four areas I'll quickly tell you we must be doing well. Number one, we must be doing well in our work. If you want to prosper, you must do well in your work. Believers like to pray and pray and pray everything. You pray to do well in your work. You don't pray for your work to just supernaturally deliver to you. You pray to do well in work. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You pray to do well in work. So you pray and say, Lord, give me insight into this job. When they give you a report and you don't know what to do about it or, or there's a challenge in the, in, the, in the work situation and a lot of it is falling on your shoulder, quickly say, Lord, teach me what to do. Lord, help me what to do. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 10. He said, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call an election sure. For if you do these things, you will not stumble. Be diligent to make your calling sure. Your work is your God-given opportunity to express your capability. Your work is your God-given opportunity to express your capability. Do it well. Learn the job. Know the job. Don't say, oh, this work, eh, nobody's recognizing me. I will do as I like. You are cheating yourself. That's the job God has given you today. You do it well. Do it well. Do it well. Do it well. Everyone who is like a success story today did not start like that. They move from level to level to level to level, doing well, 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 and they move up. When you do well, God will promote you. I say when you do well, God will promote you. God will open doors for you that will beat your imagination. In the name of Jesus. Number two, personal development. Personal development. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. This is number two under well-doing. Number one of it is call your work, your calling, your vocation. Number two, routine of personal development. 1 Timothy 4, 13. It says, till I come, give attention to what? Reading, to exhortation, and doctrine. 
Those three things are very important. Reading gives you knowledge directly from what you are reading. Exhortation helps you learn from others. And doctrine helps you put into practice the set of belief systems that you form as you read and as you learn from others. Now, we restrict this only to Bible, but it is also about your vocational work. If you are in a career, if you are like in my field of practice, built environment engineering, I must be reading the things that are relevant for today. And then at the same time, I must be getting exhortation. Exhortation does not just mean somebody is reading Bible to you to exhort you, to encourage you. It means mentorship. You are hearing from people who have gone ahead. You are hearing from people who, have, who know more than you. There, till today, I have mentors in my life who I call if I come to certain things in life. I still call them and say, this is the challenge we are facing today. What do you think we can do? Because they have mentored me virtually for the past 30 years. You need to have a place, give attention to reading, give attention to exhortation. The word doctrine there just means practicing a set of beliefs, whether they are religious beliefs or any kind of beliefs. You must know the ethics of your profession in and out so that you can practice it well. Know what you are practicing, know what you are doing, and train yourself and develop yourself. Give attention to reading, give attention to exhortation and to doctrine. Of course, it applies primarily to the Bible, but outside that, it applies to what we do as well. Say with me again, personal development. Say, Lord, help me to develop consistently. So reading helps you to learn directly. Exhortation helps you to learn from others. Doctrine helps you to put it into practice. Number three, marriage. Marriage. I'm skipping now. I've gone way over time. Marriage. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9. The Bible says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their what? Because they have a good reward for their what? You see, the problem with believers on this scripture, and I want to say this, is that we read half of the verse. After all, two are better than one. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Why is our own not better? Why is our own not? Are you reading the other part? Read the second one. Let's read it together. Because they have a good reward for? So the betterment is the reward. But what brings the reward? Eh, what brings the reward? Uh, you don't want to say it. You will say it today. What brings the reward? Uh-huh. Husband, labor. Wife, labor. What is the labor? Develop yourself. Know what, do you know there are many husbands in our generation that don't have a clue what it means to be a husband? I'm coming to the women, so don't, don't just calm down. <laughs> just calm down. <laughs> they don't have a clue. They have children. They have people who bear their name. But talking to them shows that they have no idea what it means to be a husband. And then the women. <laughs> True. Many wives are not laboring enough to understand what it means to be a wife. Do you know that your Bible says a wise woman builds her own home? Have you read that in your Bible? That should change your mindset about who you are in that family. It should, it should radicalize your thinking. Wow. So that this house will be built. It's in my hand. Oh, woman. If you see a house where the woman is happy, as soon as you enter, the whole atmosphere is happy. All the children are running about. Everything, even this, the atmosphere is sweet. But if you see where the woman is, is <laughs> As soon as you, you enter, some heat will just blow you like that. <laughs> no matter how happy the husband is, if the woman is unhappy, the whole house is unhappy. 
I will stop at that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But labor, if you want rest and betterment, two of you must labor individually. Husband, labor in the world. Labor in materials that teach you. Go to mentors. Ah! This generation don't want to learn from people that have gone ahead of them. Proud generation. You've been married only five years and the whole world cannot rest. And there are people who have been doing this thing 30 years and they are succeeding. You can't take phone and ask them. Say, brother, I am in trouble, sir. How have you come for 30 years? This woman wants to kill me. <laughs> and I don't want to kill her first. <laughs> Go and sit down at their feet. Let them tell you what they have been doing. How they have been making it work. By God's grace. Women, learn from women that have gone ahead of you. You have children, five years, two years, three years. You have people around you who have children, 20 years, 25 years. Go and sit them down and say, how did you cope when those children were seven years and they were running all over the house and your hair used to stand like that? How do you cope? <laughs> then they will tell you, this is what you do. How you put them to sleep when they don't want to sleep. <laughs> and so on and so forth. Labor. The word labor there means be diligent about making sure you are developing. Then the two will be better than one. May God help us. I must close on this. I have so many things to say. For some strange reason, this thing just went on and on. The last bit is very important. We must have a routine of witnessing and interpersonal relationships. The Christian life is frustrated and frustrating when you live insular. You're always thinking about yourself. Do you know that the most refreshing prayer is when you pray for others? If you have not been praying for others, try it. The most refreshing prayer, the most enjoyable thing is when you pray for others. The day I got my PhD, I enjoyed it so much, I thank God. But I found that the, the biggest joys I've been getting, I won't put it on social media recently, the biggest joy I've been getting is every time my own students get their own PhD, I find that that joy is like time 10. The day, of, I, the day I got mine. When you learn to witness to others, the Christian life becomes more fruitful. You become more rewarded and develop your interpersonal relationships. Matthew 5.13 says you are the salt of the earth. A salt loses its flavor. If a salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's good for nothing. You will not be good for nothing. I say you will not be good for nothing. Verse 14 says you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Verse 16 says, so let your light so shine. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, I can go on on this and please forgive me for taking time. But I want you to understand that what the Bible says in telling us that we need to keep a routine of the word, routine of prayer, routine of fellowship, and this well-doing, this list of well-doing can go into many areas. We must understand that in them are the things that prosper us spiritually, physically, and even materially, emotionally. Every way we are prospered by them. I pray God will continue to grant us understanding in the name of Jesus. Let's rise to our feet and just talk to the Lord.